Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Subway. Come on down to Subway in Keensburg, New Jersey on January 22nd from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. where there will be a special meet and greet with WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. USA himself, Tony Atlas. Also remember, all six-inch subs are buy one, get one free, so you can enjoy some great food while meeting a WWE Hall of Famer. So yet again, that is January 22nd from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Come on down to Subway Kingsburg and meet Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. We hope to see you there. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling! And your winner, Tony Atlas! 
Atlas victorious, but I'm sure the fans and everyone remember that match for a long, long time to come. Again, this is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at Subway. Head on over to the Subway location in Keensburg, New Jersey on Sunday, January 22nd to meet today's guest, Mr. USA and WWE Hall of Famer, the legend himself, Tony Atlas, who will be appearing from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. at the Subway location on Main Street in Keensburg. A lot more about that to come in the next couple of minutes. Obviously, you heard it off the top, but we are so excited to be a part of the appearance of Tony Atlas at Subway Keensburg. This is obviously the third signing that we've been a part of with the Subway down in Keensburg, New Jersey. We had a great appearance with Tito Santana. We had a great appearance with Robbie E. And now Tony Atlas joins the fun, and he also joins the program today. And when it comes to Tony Atlas, if you've heard one Tony Atlas interview or you've seen him on TV, you know he is absolutely off the wall, but in a good way. He is one of the most entertaining guys that you can speak to. You give him a little bit of something to talk about, and man, he just he takes that football and he runs. And whether we're talking about the state of New Jersey and its wrestling history, we're talking about the legendary Gorilla Monsoon and what he meant to the WWWF, Tony's got a story for it. He's got a great Look at what we had going on in the business back then, especially what we had going on in New Jersey in terms of wrestling. And he's just such a great source. But like I said, in typical Tony Atlas fashion, man, does he take it to another level and just give you some hilarious stuff in between. And we're so happy to get him on. And this has been a great little run that we're going on with some Hall of Fame guests. But John, as I welcome you in here, tell us a little bit more about the subway appearance Talk about Tony Atlas, some of the highlights that he gave us, and obviously, you and I, we just keep laughing back and forth to each other about it. It was a great chat, but Tony Atlas, uh, he always never ceases to amaze you with just how entertaining he can be. Yes, Chad, you're right, and we're kicking off 2017 on a two-man power trip of wrestling in a huge way. Obviously, starting off with Dancing Fool himself, Stevie Richards, then WWE Hall of Famer Greg the Hammer Valentine, which has gotten rave reviews and has been published all over the place, so thank you uh, all the media outlets for that. It's been great and getting some great pub. And then, of course, today's episode with Mr. USA himself, a WWE Hall of Famer in his own right, a former WWF Tag Team Champion, Tony Atlas. And boy, this was a fun one. You know, we got a big Subway appearance coming up with him. I'm, I'm really excited about Tony coming up to the shop, 304 Main Street in Kingsburg, New Jersey. Going to be a huge deal. Sunday, January 22nd from 12 to 2 p.m. Buy one, get one free on all six-inch subs. Should be a really fun day, and I uh, enjoy spending some time with Tony that day. Should be a lot of fun. He always has something funny to say, whether it be in this interview, whether it be you know a quick phone call here, a quick phone call there, or even seeing him in person. He's an entertaining guy, and there's no doubt about it. He's unpredictable. He's a little kooky. He's a little crazy. You never know what he's going to say, but he's really funny. And he's really entertaining. And he's a really genuine guy, and this interview it's really, really fun, and it, it kind of hits all different spectrums, you know, whether we're talking about Hulk Hogan and, and beating Hogan and slamming Hogan and a lot of cool stuff, which you can also hear on YouTube. We put a great clip up of Tony talking about the Hulkster, but also talking about if he thinks Hogan's racist or not or, or if Hogan has an attitude issue or not and what he really thinks about Hogan, not only the wrestler, the, the draw, the, the, the icon, but Hulk Hogan the man, so it's really 
cool to hear Tony's opinions on that. And of course, I love talking this old question, this old debate. Vince McMahon Sr. versus Vince McMahon Jr. And Tony obviously has worked for both guys. So we do get a very interesting and a very good opinion on not only Sr. but Jr. as well. And obviously, Chad, you know, that is one of my favorite questions. I just love that because it's so interesting. I mean, get behind the mind of those guys who kind of get into the the eyes of the wrestler and learn what Vince Sr. and learn what Vince Jr. are all about is really cool and I really like to hear all these different stories about the differences and, and even maybe if they're you know, alike in, in some way so I love that that's cool of course getting some good Gorilla Monsoon stuff you know we love ourselves some Gorilla Monsoon on this show so cool Gorilla Monsoon story about Muhammad Ali so with Tony I mean he runs the gamut here we talk a lot of great stuff a lot of great stories and no, for our good buddy out there, Randy Helms, who asked, he does not talk about feet. So uh, we're not, not going to get any feet stuff <laughs> on this interview. So, you, you know, definitely, definitely you will enjoy this one. He is a WB Hall of Famer. And the two-man power trip is on a little bit of a roll right now with these Hall of Fame guys. And I hope we can keep it up because uh, after Greg the Hammer, you know, following up with Tony Atlas is no small feat. So pretty amazing. And uh you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, not only a Hall of Famer, but he is Mr. USA. Yes, Tony Atlas. It's a great run, to say the least, but this episode itself is on a great run. As we not only had Tony Atlas, we're joined by a guy who is a master craftsman. He's probably the best in the business. He's a little too humble to uh, agree with that sentiment, but he's probably the best in the business right now at designing a championship belt. He is known as the ace of belts. The one and only Dave Milliken also joins the show. And this was one that I know John and I, we've been doing this show for two years. We have basically been trying to get him on for about two years because this is a topic that the belts, if you're a collector, if you're uh, into the old school, you are in love with some of the championship belts. It means so much to you. And sometimes there's that old joke, oh, yeah, you know, oh, the belt doesn't mean anything. But to the fans, it does mean something. And you're going to hear what it means to Dave Milliken to have a championship belt in his possession and the stories behind it and why he became so taken by the championship belt scene and his mentor, Reg Parks, who's also a, a former great professional wrestler in his own right, you know, you're going to hear what Reg Parks meant to Dave Milliken's career and what he's doing today. And if you watch WWE television, you've seen Dave Milliken's work in uh, in its finest form in that big old HD belt that they have on all the live TVs. So, John, talk about Dave Milliken. Talk about some championship belts. Uh, obviously, you know, you and I always talk about some of our favorites. Um, the NWA title, I know, remember, you had that downstairs in your basement. We used to marvel at that. I, myself, had the Smoking Skull title and the, uh, the I think it was the SmackDown tag team titles for a while. But they're just, they're so cool to have. They're so cool to talk about. But give us a little brief description about Dave Milliken before we get this all wrapped up and over to these uh, explosive interviews that we've got for you on today's show. Yeah, Chad, obviously the, the second part of this episode, or this show, if you will, is the Ace of Belts, Dave Milliken, and I love talking to Dave, love talking about belts. It's just such an intriguing thing, because what do they really mean? What is what is it all about? Uh, why does Vince not like to call them belts? 
rather call them championship titles or whatever. I just like getting into all that stuff, and it really, you know, it's maybe maybe boring to some people, or maybe ridiculous to some people. Oh, what do you mean you're talking about wrestling, you know, world title belts? Uh, they're not real. They really don't mean anything. Well, they actually do, if you think about it. I mean, they are so much importance to the belt. It's what you strive to be. You strive to be the champion, which means you're top of the dog, which means you're making the most money. And, you know, you're able to feed your family and, and all this other great stuff that comes with being the top guy and being the champion. And think about what's behind that belt and who's making those belts. And, yes, Dave Milliken, the ace of belts, is making those belts. And he puts a lot of thought into it. And he puts a lot of great work into it. And the belts are amazing. I love looking at some of those belts. I love just thinking like oh man that one's awesome or even some cases oh that belt's terrible you know it's kind of making uh you know like like the intercontinental title um from the late 90s like, ah, that belt's not that great it kind of doesn't you know make that title look that good and blah blah but when you throw it back to the belt that you know kind of started with uh tito and, and macho man and then brad hard and mr perfect and so on and so forth i love that belt and dave milliken brings that ic title belt back obviously with cody rhodes a couple of years ago and now with uh, the miz and dean ambrose whoever the hell has it now uh, i believe it's ambrose just won it recently on smackdown but really cool the you know the way the belt looks and it kind of adds to the actual championship itself if the belt is cool it kind of makes the championship like even cool. Like, man, that's that's just awesome. And him holding it, and even for picture reasons or aesthetic reasons, it just looks really, really cool to have a cool belt like that. And I love talking about some of our favorite belts. We do talk about the big gold belt and the winged eagle belt. Obviously, two of my favorites. I think my favorite of all time would have to be the big gold belt. What that belt meant to Flair. Love talking to Milliken about that as well. And we do get into his current work with the WWE as well and all the belts that he has designed and will be designing in the future. So uh, you're going to enjoy this one. And uh, Chatty Boy, why don't you just take this one away? You got to love these jam-packed shows. You go from a WWE Hall of Famer straight into a master belt maker like Dave Milliken. And that's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to throw it on over to Tony Atlas, and you're going to hear a nice little transition of some classic championship belt victories. And then we're going to get right into our interview with Dave Milliken and finish out today's show. Now, I just want to take a second and thank that wrestling club for their last promotion with the Greg the Hammer Valentine episode, our two-year anniversary. It was an awesome promotion and a guy out of California named The Angry Card Collector, who has an awesome blog that you can go check out. Google The Angry Card Collector and check out his blog. If you're into trading cards, he doesn't just do baseball or football. He also covers a lot of wrestling. He's a really, really knowledgeable guy, and he's really cool, and I definitely was happy that he won the uh, randomized drawing for the That Wrestling Club box for the month of January. And again, want to send a big thank you over to Mike and the folks over at That Wrestling Club. But I also want to acknowledge and send a big thank you to Chris over at WrestlingPodcastHighlights.com. Head on over to WrestlingPodcastHighlights.com and get recaps of all the wrestling podcasts that you should be listening to uh, outside of just a two-man power trip of wrestling. Obviously, that's at the top of your playlist. But if you're going to listen to any other ones or you don't have time to finish them, Chris over at WrestlingPodcastHighlights.com is giving you in-depth recaps and hitting all the high spots, as they say, and giving you all the details that you need if you're not going to be able to listen to a full podcast or you can't get into uh, finishing one. I know some can be long. Hey, we've been... Uh, 
the uh, the deliverers of some really long shows. I mean, we've had obviously two and a half hour episodes, but sometimes we've had about forty five minute episodes. But Chris over at WrestlingPodcastHighlights.com is listening to them for you and writing up a nice little recap. So, like I said, if you want to catch a little recap of one of our past episodes that you didn't get a chance to listen to, read on all about it over at WrestlingPodcastHighlights.com. And, John, with that being said, we're so pumped that we have Tony Atlas and the great Dave Milliken on the show. So why don't you hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business, get it on over to Tony Atlas, and then remember, following Tony Atlas, we're going to get right into Dave Milliken. So enjoy, and we'll catch you next time. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jerry McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you can please check out our page while you're there, you can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icon Collector's Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado... A former WWF Tag Team Champion, a WWE Hall of Famer, yes, that's right, it's Mr. USA himself, Tony Atlas. Please enjoy. WWE Hall of Famer, known by three letters, and it's Mr. USA. He is the one and only Tony Atlas. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, you know, it's my pleasure to be here. You know, I'm always uh, hearing a great deal about your area. This is going to be my first time visiting it. 
Yeah, we can't wait to get you down to the amazing new subway location down in Keensburg, New Jersey on Main Street this coming January 22nd. And we're going to have all the details for all the listeners at the beginning of the interview and at the end of the interview. But obviously, the state of New Jersey is an uh, old-time WWF territory. Obviously, you know New Jersey very well. But what do, you, what do you like about the Jersey Shore? You like getting down there, enjoying some of the food, enjoying some of the sights. Well, see, the thing about uh, uh, New Jersey, a lot of people don't know when I first uh, started wrestling back in the uh, uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, the promoter was, uh name was uh, Gorilla Monsoon, and Gorilla Monsoon was a promoter of New Jersey, and Honest Golden was a promoter of uh, New York. The McMahon there promoted uh, Connecticut, and the Savotive uh, did the stuff up north. They have Phil Zaka that did Maryland and Pennsylvania. Now, all three of these guys, they worked together to fall at that time the WWWF, which was held by Vince McMahon uh, Sr. So we used to go to Jersey, but every time we did a show in Jersey, the guy that, uh, that I remember most about Jersey is, uh, is uh, Gorilla Monsoon because uh, he was a promoter of Jersey. And then our next, uh, next uh, president-elect, uh, Donald Trump, you know, who was a very good friend of uh, Gorilla Monsoon and uh, also a good friend of Vince McMahon. And uh, now Linda McMahon is part of uh, Donald Trump uh, cabinet. So wrestling uh, got, got a strong history uh, in the New Jersey area. You know, we are, we are uh, wrestling in the Midlands. I tag team with uh, Andre the Giant uh, against Ken Patero. Uh, back in the uh, uh, mid-'80s against uh, Kim Patel and uh, Big John Studd. Uh, the Midlands has always been a, 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 you know, a great place for us guys to uh, go to. And in Trenton, New Jersey, and, uh, you know, and we used to go all the way down to uh, 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 South Jersey, you know, and uh, it's, it's always been a, a great place for uh, the WWE, which is now the WWE, but the WWF before there was WWF, you know, it's a lot of history there. Yeah, Jersey's a great territory, and obviously, yeah, Gorilla Monsoon running New Jersey territory for the WWWF. It's so cool that we're all learning about that now, you know, years after, obviously, Gorilla Monsoon's passing, but you mentioned in there President-elect Donald Trump. Obviously, a lot of ties to wrestling. He's also a WWE Hall of Famer, and naming Linda McMahon to the cabinet. Is Linda McMahon going to be that great addition to the Donald Trump presidential cabinet that I think all us wrestling fans are hoping she's going to be. Well, well, I, well I also hope that also because I, uh, I, I know her intelligence and her, uh, you know, hard work, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, she possessed that, uh, where, where you look, you know, them two together, uh, Vince Jr. and his wife, you know, they build WWE into something that, you know, one of the biggest um, events in the world, you know. Uh, when you see WrestleMania, one thing, WrestleMania, believe it or not, is bigger than uh, uh, the Super Bowl. But the Super Bowl is only watched here in America. But WrestleMania is watched here in America, in Europe, Asia, all over the world. It's a world event. When you go to WrestleMania, believe it or not, most of the people uh, at WrestleMania are not from this country. It's very hard for an American to get a ticket to WrestleMania. You know, they sell these packages uh, 
to a, a lot of Europeans. I got a friend over in Germany, and she comes over here every year. She buys the package, and with the package, you get a you go to fan access. You go to the uh, you get to go to the uh, 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 Hall of Fame. You get to go to WrestleMania, your room and hotel, and everything is all under one package. So most of the the people you see at WrestleMania and the Monday Night Raw right after WrestleMania, all the fans there is from Europe. Crazy, yeah. They take over the show. A lot of people, a lot of people don't don't know because WrestleMania is is a world event. You know, I was on tour with Mark Henry and uh, uh, uh back in the uh, 2008, 2009, up to 2010, and we went everywhere. We went to we went to Mexico, we went to Germany, we went to France, we, we we went to Belgium, you know, everywhere. You know, everywhere we went, you know, if, you know, WWE is, is large everywhere. Whereas the MFL is only large here in America. So it's bigger than the Super Bowl. It's one of the biggest live events that you can go to is uh, WrestleMania. Yeah, it's crazy how much that European crowd does come over and that they haven't had their own WrestleMania. But you were competing in the WrestleMania two Battle Royal. And obviously being down at uh, later WrestleMania is, you know, as part of the WWE family, that WrestleMania two Battle Royal featuring Big John Studd, and Andre the Giant, and the NFL greats like Refrigerator Perry. Uh, looking back at WrestleMania too, it's kind of hard to believe how much it's grown since uh, that event, which was at three different arenas, which they wouldn't even, if they did that, they'd sell out three now, but at the time, that was a, a pretty uh, renegade concept by uh, Vince McMahon. Well, he had, no, he had no choice. He had no place to put the people. He sold so many tickets that he had to rent three arenas to accommodate everybody. And he he learned that just from Rally Run Show. WrestleMania one was held at Madison Square Garden, but then there was such a demand for. But but there was another WrestleMania that was done by his father that gave him the idea. Shea Stadium, Bruno Sammartino versus Larry Sabisco. Up yep, showdown at Shea. Ah, Shea Stadium. Well, with the yep. old man, we go to Shea Stadium and sell it out. Sixty something, uh, I think sixty five thousand people are what the newspaper read that time. If you look at go, go with the New York Times and search back during that era, you can look up the exact price. And it was like, you know, quite of uh, quite a crowd for uh, uh, it was Kim Patero. Uh, I, I wrestled against Kim Patero. They had uh, a Nokia there for Japan, and they do that. They had quite of a uh, pretty good car there. So this, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. Uh, Vince just, just took it and made it larger than what it was. And and what really helped Vince McMahon really become the success that he is today was something his father didn't have, which is called technology. When I first started wrestling, I remember I came here to Maine, where I live at now, and we did a television tape in Portland, Maine. So the promoter said, well, tomorrow we got one more TV to do in Bangor. I said, why we got to go to Bangor? He said, because the television don't reach uh, all the way uh, to the northern part of Maine. So we have to do two televisions. And I remember the tapes we do in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And uh, we used to take them tapes and deliver them to our different uh, our TV stations. Now you could do tapes in one spot and they get transferred all over the world. 
So technology had a lot to uh, to to do with making wrestling uh, what it is now, along with a whole lot of other stuff. What do you think about the difference between Vince Senior and Vince Junior? Because you worked for both of them. Well, the the difference was they both were outstanding, great men, and each one is great in their time. Vince was fantastic for the time that wrestling was uh, in the period of the time. That's why he was very, very successful. Vince Jr. was very, very good at the time that he was because Vince Sr. Uh, Jr. was able to see the future. Sr. was not. So so Jr. knew wh- where the world was going to go. It's just like anything else. Uh, you talk to a kid today. You you take like a sixteen year old kid, he don't know what it's like not to have a cell phone. When he was born, there was cell phone in year two thousand. Now a fifty six year old kid, we know where there wasn't a cell phone. So everything you you can't compare the past with the the present because the present is nothing like the past. Nothing we did in the past going to fit today. You call any company up and you tell me, is a human being going to answer the phone or is a machine going to answer the phone? What do you think going to answer that phone? Hmm. Machine. You're not going to talk to a human being. What you and I are doing right now is going to be a something of the past. My daughter, I don't even know what her voice sounds like. She texts. Hmm. I call her up, hey, how you doing, daughter? I love you. Uh, I, I hug the grandkids. She don't pick up the phone. I text her, hi, how you doing? She texts her back a full letter. And I just, shoot, if she had time to, <laughs> to text this whole, you know, letter to me, don't you think that one thing has got to hit? We can get a lot more done and say a lot more. It's just pick up the freaking phone. Hmm. Everything is going to electronics. I wouldn't be surprised that in the future, uh, instead of you talking to Tony Atlas, you could be talking to an animated figure of Tony Atlas back in his haters. Yeah, the, the world we know is slowly disappearing. We, we kind of like the old cowboys of the 1800s. We stand on our horseback, riding out in the prairie, you know, tending to the cows and everything, and we ain't noticing all the cars being built, airplanes being built. We ain't seeing the new generation. And then by uh, 1930, all of us old cowboys, we kind of woke up and said, wow, we didn't know this was coming. That's how we're going to be in 2030. We're going to wake up and we're going to say, wow, we didn't know this was coming. Because hmm. a lot of us are still living in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, because that's what we know. That's our history. Like in the 1900s, we live a lot in the 1800s. That's how come we still know so much about Jesse James, Billy the Kid. You remember all the Western movies they made in the 70s to celebrate the 1800s? Well, now everything we do is to celebrate the 1900s because a whole hundred years just went by. 
take you there. That's the difference between Vince and, and Senior. A senior was of the 1900. Junior was at that breaking point between the uh, the, the 19, the 20th century and the 21st century. So senior is more 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. It was for their second. They both was great for their time. Just like I was great for my time. Rocket Johnson was great for his time. Hulk Hogan, my God, look how big Hogan was back in the 80s. But, you know, you thought no, nothing will ever get as big as Hogan. Now, if you look at everything Hogan did in the 80s, it don't fit today. No matter how great he was during the 80s, it it would not draw that same crowd now. You see what I'm trying to say? Oh, absolutely, and it's funny with Hogan and back change, in the day. Change, people, what, what, what people call excited change, what people call interested change. Like when I was a kid, I was scared of dinosaur. What is the favorite thing to kids now? Dinosaurs. Hmm. You know. When I was a kid, I was afraid of zombies. What is the greatest movie out right now? The Walking Dead. True. Tattoos were, were, were never a big thing. Tattoos were for people with convicts and sellers and stuff like that, the bikers. Now, tattoo is a fashion statement. See? So, <laughs> but when I was a kid, the only guy that wore pants too big for was Charlie Chaplin. Now, looking like Charlie Chaplin is in. When you look at Charlie Chaplin and you look at the way people are dressed now, where's the difference? Hmm. We look at Charlie Chaplin with your pants hanging off of you. You know, wearing pants too big for you, wearing shoes too big for you. In our day, that was complicated, right? In my Hmm. day. But today is the style. See, the world changed. Everything changed. Life changed. Your perception of life changed. What what is good, all of a sudden become bad. What is bad, all of a sudden become good. Life, it, it, you know, it, it, it's a constant change to change. That's why I've always loved going back to areas like when you guys invite me to come there to uh, uh, New Jersey, I got all excited because... I'm able to, to reminisce the past. Some of the things I would think about, these things would never come back. I mean, I, I would never go there to see Gorilla Monsoon again, you know? Hmm. But by going there, it brings, it keeps Gorilla Monsoon memory alive for me. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. So anyway, you didn't want to talk about all that stuff. Tony, I'm just very deep in thought and sometimes, and sometimes I get up talking and talking about faith and I lose people they'll know say, what the hell are you talking about now? Well, you know, you mentioned Gorilla Monsoon. Do you have any good uh, Gorilla Monsoon stories? Because obviously he's so near and dear not only to WBF, but of course the WBF in the Northeast, like you said. Well, yes, I do. I, I, I will tell you a story that most people don't know. One of the greatest athletes or uh, fighters that ever walked the face of the earth was a gentleman by the name of Gorilla, I mean, by a gentleman named of Muhammad Ali. Hmm. Well, one time Muhammad Ali decided to get into the ring 
with one Gorilla Monsoon. And he wanted to show Gorilla Monsoon that that boxers are tougher than wrestlers. The outcome of that was Gorilla Monsoon press slam Muhammad Ali out of the ring. And that's a story that a lot of people don't know about Gorilla Monsoon. If you put Gorilla Monsoon in his heyday and Muhammad Ali at his heyday in the same ring, Monsoon wins all day long. And Ali was known as the greatest. New Jersey gave birth to the greatest. Bam Bam Bigelow, Gorilla Monsoon, uh, uh, and, and a lot of other great. Uh, uh, the Smokey Joe, Fraser, the Spectrum, the Celtics. I mean, when you start looking at, at, at you know, uh, uh, when you start looking at, well, I say the Celtics, I'm talking about Boston now. But uh, 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 anyway, uh, Jersey got a lot of good history, a lot of good history. A lot of good people came out of that, a lot of good people. And I, and I feel honored that I'm coming there to, to meet some of the fans that have seen me over the years and listen to some of my crazy talk if they got the patience. The Northeast, obviously, is, is super special, you know, as far as for the wrestling fans and for yourself. But I'm thinking back back in, in, in your day, you know, if you just focus on you for a second, when you beat Hulk Hogan, and maybe a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, you were one of the first people to slam him when he was in the WWF, and you were one of the first people to pin him. You know, did you see Hogan becoming the, you know, after that, becoming the huge, huge megastar that he became? Well, Hogan was always used with the fans. He was a promoter that Hogan had to confess. If you listen very carefully, when I was wrestling Hogan, half of the fans were cheering for Hogan. The other half were cheering for me. Hogan was like a me walk on the stage, but it, it took a while for the promoter to see that in him. Because at the time... Ben Senior had his eye totally on Bob Backlund. Hmm. He was looking at Backlund being the champion, not Hogan. And it wasn't that Hogan went away and made money somewhere else. And he had to show Vince uh, what he could do. The guy that gave Hogan his break was not Vince McMahon. It was Vern Garner in Minnesota, Minneapolis. And he heard about Hogan selling out everything in Minneapolis. So they, uh, Vince Jr. was smart enough to say, well, man, we got to have this guy. we got to get this guy back. So they brought him back. His first night back, he beat the Aaron Sheet for the title. His first night back. So Hogan just was just headed to him. You know, he had to earn that spot he got. I mean, you know, they didn't want to give it to him. He had to prove to them that he was worthy of, 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 uh, of that position. But he had to go somewhere else to prove himself. First, the thing he did, he went and made a movie with Rocket. Then after he made a movie with, uh, with, with uh, Sylvester Stallone, the Rocket movie, then he went to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and wrestled there with Jesse the Bonnevent too, and all them guys, and, and, and set the territory on fire. And then that way Vince called him up and worked on a deal with him to bring him back in to put him in the same position here that he was in Minnesota. So, yeah, Hogan, Hogan was, was like him when he walked out because people never seen nobody like that. You know, got six foot seven, six foot eight, you know, 340 pounds, you know, muscle, blonde, blue eyes, can move like a cat. You know, all-American boy. 
definitely the All American boy against you know Mister USA. Yeah, I mean, you saw, if you saw him in, in his heyday, you say, "Man, what a big, impressive looking guy!" You know. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lot of Hulk Hogan walking up and down the street, you know. And then he had a personality. You're very personal with people. Very personal. If I see Hogan right now, I don't care what Hogan do. Hogan will stop doing whatever he's doing. Come on, hey, Tony, how you doing, brother? It's so good to see you. You know, he never changed. You know, he never changed. The, the, the same Hogan I knew back from 1978 when I first met him in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, with me and Tommy Rich, the same Hogan that I see when I see him in the future. He, he never changed the position. Like people, he's a great guy, never hurt nobody, worked hard, do what he was told. He's a good guy. No doubt about it. Uh, he's awesome. But it's funny, you know, with the Hulkster, obviously he's a massive man, but uh, you're no slouch yourself. And, you know, you press slamming him and you picking him up and stuff is, quite an impressive feat in and of itself. When he, talk, he talks about that every time I, I get ready, he, he was telling his daughter, Brooke, he was up here, and uh, his daughter was on the singing tour, and the Hogan was with him, so I was in the dressing room talking to him and his daughter, Brooke, and he was telling his daughter about me press slamming him and uh, everything. Yeah, Tony, no doubt, and thanks so much for spending a couple minutes with us. We really appreciate it. You know, nobody is uh, is more impressed than us to be talking to Mr. USA, Tony Atlas, right now. But please, before we let you go, before we get off the line, just could you share with the fans of the two-man power trip of wrestling where they can find anything and everything for Tony Atlas? Well, the best way to do that, I'm not all that uh, 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 into technology and, and, and stuff of that nature, but if you look for the YMCA or Auburn, Maine, I'm a personal trainer at the Auburn, Maine YMCA. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, and we will see you in January. Okay, sir. Have a wonderful night and a wonderful holiday. Back up somehow. Uh-oh. Austin ducked it. Austin going for the stutter. And Michael's counter. Michael's going for another kick. Austin. He got it. The stutter. Mike Tyson in. Austin is the champion. Yeah, see, that's what we like to do. We like to uh, be perfect for everybody. We like to make sure... Uh, Everybody's on the same page. Okay, well, joining us on the line tonight is a man, quite frankly, known as the Ace of Belts. If you've seen a WWE Championship belt that really stands out to you, there's a good chance that this man has been the craftsman behind it, and it's our pleasure to welcome in the one and only David Milliken. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Man, thanks for having me. Oh, it's uh, it's our pleasure. It's one of our favorite topics, the uh, the wrestling championship belt it's obviously the staple of uh your top performers it's meant so much over the uh legacy of professional wrestling uh maybe it's undervalued uh in terms of current products in certain areas but still nonetheless a sharp looking belt 
is a uh, is definitely a difference maker for a successful professional wrestler. And I guess uh, the appropriate way to start is, how did you get mixed up in the crazy world of professional wrestling belt making? Uh, it started uh, when I was when I was a kid. Um, I started making them just for myself and uh, kind of a bragging rights thing with my buddies. And, you know, we, uh, of course, we're as old as I am. We go back to the days when we didn't have, uh, didn't have many channels. And uh, I think uh, when I was in my late teens or mid-teens, maybe an Atari video game uh, with very, very crude ones came out. <clears throat> we didn't have, we didn't have a whole lot to do. So we, we, uh, we wrestled, which turned into fighting half the time. And, uh, had all kind of uh, activities like that, and um, uh, wrestling was was huge. Um, you know, uh, I grew up just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, so uh, kind of uh, one of the hotbeds in the country for for wrestling. And so, uh, I don't know, it just came to me. I was watching uh, Saturday morning wrestling, and I was like, you know what, I need to have a belt like that. And of course, mine was nothing like that when I was finished, but. We were off and running anyway, and that's how it, how it all got started. And over the years, um, the uh, the materials just got better, and and um, you know, it, it, we progressed from there. Yeah, the materials have gotten a lot better, and obviously, if you kind of know the history of professional wrestling belts, and you know people who have been craftsmen such as yourself, obviously, the first name that comes to mind is the great. Reg Parks, not only a great professional wrestler, but really revolutionized how the belt is made and how it looks and really all the intricacies that we see still to this day on current wrestling. And I wanted to get your history of how you got into, uh, you know, being a aficionado of belts because recently, as, uh, I guess as soon as uh, this past fall, the WWE Universal Championship became a big uh, news topic because of the fans' criticism of how the belt didn't have a distinction, and you're talking about how it's evolved so much from the materials being made from from an existential point of view. Seeing a title like that and seeing how we've evolved, uh, you know, looking at what you liked as a kid, do you like the way the belts are looking, you know, today to this fan base? Um, to, to, to real quick not gloss over something I probably should have said, uh, you know, obviously uh, – Many years ago, did hook up. Uh, Reggie Parks opened a lot of doors for me, and he's still um, uh, he's, uh, at 82 years old and still one of my business partners to this day and opened a lot of doors. And without Reggie Parks, um, uh, championship belts as we know them would not exist. Now, there would be belts, and there were belts before Reggie, but there weren't belts like Reggie made. Um, and he opened that door for me, and uh, we formed a partnership that uh, – you know, over 20 years later, is still going strong. And um, so after that, yeah, uh, my, my material starting off for cardboard and aluminum foil, so we moved up pretty quick from that. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, as far as the universal belt goes, um, uh, specifically, and I'll get into overall uh, belts these days, but as far as the universal championship goes, I, I personally – um, and I was supposed to do that one, uh, and somewhere along the way, we've just had some, um, I'm not going to call them fallings out, but some some miscommunications and some things like that that have just happened where um, I'm not doing nearly as many WWE belts these days. Uh, I still have a good relationship there, a strong licensing agreement. Um, but if, if they had, uh, if we had used my input, if I had been a part of that process, 
Um, we wouldn't have gone with an all red belt. We would have had a red background and maybe a red backing on a black strap. And I think we probably could have kept it from being booed. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'd like to think that we could have. But, uh, hey, they've got their process and I've got mine. Uh, do I like the belts today? I do. I do like some of them. Um, some I don't. Uh, I am very much a classics guy. Um, I guess it's that, um, I don't know if it's just, uh, I don't know, a lot of young people agree with me too that they come in and, and look at the collection of belts that I have here and the classic belts, but uh, maybe it's just that grumpy old man thing. <laughs> you know, where I like the older stuff better, but I do I do like the classic um I do like the classic everything from the classic Reggie belts to the classic big gold to the classic Bone Globe NWA belt. I, I do I do like those better than a lot of what's out there today, personally. Um, but I see the need to grow and to evolve and, and, and change, and I've been a part of that. I've, uh, I've even done many of those that um, uh, some were popular, some were not. Yeah, and again, that's why I wanted to tie both questions into uh, kind of that same uh, vein because, you know, your history, how you get in, what it's like today with that universal belt being an actual news piece and, you know, uh, articles being written and, like you said, fans booing a championship belt is uh, is kind of a head-scratcher, but it's all about the old school. It's all about classic, especially with us. I mean, we're such uh, connoisseurs of professional wrestling that we love to talk about the classic championship belts. And as of late, you know, we're both Northeastern guys. We've been talking to a lot of folks from that late WWWF into the early WWF days where the belts were very cool. And we just had a great story uh, told to us by Greg the Hammer Valentine about the championship belt that Tito Santana had that was destroyed by Greg the Hammer Valentine and then, then <laughs> thrown out by Tito and his wife, not knowing that down the road, you know, that belt could be a uh, an artifact. But... We didn't know oh that then, gosh. but that, looking at would have been a yeah that that would have been a that would have been a five figure collectible right now. Yeah, and looking at where we've come with that, the classic belt still, I would think, you know, in terms of your personal orders are at the top of the list. But if we go down that classic road, let's talk about classic WWWF belts. What's a belt that really stands out to you from that territory and that era of wrestling? Um. I think that our from from our own catalog of stuff, which of course started with with Reggie, um, the the classic winged eagle belt, which is always that's a that's a a belt mark term that um, has stuck. And I said when it's when it when they coined it, I said that'll never stick because all eagles have wings. But I was wrong, and even WWE shop calls it winged eagle belt. So you know what? I'm not always right, and that's one of the times I was wrong. But that belt, and uh, I, I dare say that if you were to to check into it um, with with uh, more than casual fans, hardcore fans, I think you're going to be hard pressed even today to find a more popular belt than their Intercontinental belt. And that's because they haven't yet changed it, and you know, they've they've kept the, the classic belt since Cody Rhodes brought it back. So those two automatically come to my mind uh, and are at the top uh, of of uh, most of the classic belt lists. You gotta love that Intercontinental Championship, and I know John. Uh, he's in that same thinking that I am. When I was a kid, I mean, that was the belt you wanted was the Intercontinental Championship because it was bigger than the Winged Eagle belt. And I thought that same thing, kind of laughing, the Winged Eagle belt's kind of like an oxymoron. It's uh, The, <laughs> the, the yeah. Eagle's got yeah. the wing, so <laughs> we're kind of going yeah. backward with the uh, yeah. with the name right. of it. But when you think about the guys that held that belt, does the belt 
have a little more cachet when you've got a superstar with some name value that's actually, you know, the guy holding the belt. You would think that it would have nothing to do with it, and you would think it would be aesthetics, but uh, it absolutely does. It absolutely has something to do with it, because when you think of those titles, and a lot, a lot of the same guys have won both, but, you know, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, even though Steve only uh, retired the winged eagle belt after a day, but he did have it. Um, when you think of, of, and many more guys, you know, um, Ultimate Warrior I and mean, guys like that. Um, you know, when you when you think of uh, of that history, those belts I think have a little bit more shine because of the guys that wore them. And I just uh, I think that's part of being a fan. I think that that you automatically associate it with guys that you like. Definitely, and I love you know the Winged Eagle belt. I always think of uh, Macho Man or, or Hogan. You know, oh, great, great example, Randy. Yeah, exactly, Randy, and that's the that's the I was I was I knew I was leaving out very important people there, and personally, uh, not to interrupt you, but Randy Savage, who wore both belts. You know, um, I mean, how, gosh, it doesn't get any better than classic uh, '80s Macho Man. Are you kidding me? Who's better than that? Hmm. Do you ever, you know, obviously, you know, you have a relationship with WWE, but do you ever find it kind of weird, like we saw? There was an edict from Vince. I guess one of the announcers kind of leaked it, or former announcers leaked it, that they're not actually allowed to say belt. They're not allowed to call it a belt. Do you ever, you know, have an issue with that? I don't have an issue with it, um, but I, uh, I don't really see it. I don't really understand it. Uh, not that I have to. Not that it matters what I understand. I don't really understand the, what the big deal is. And you know they flip flopped on that. There's been a time when when it was okay, and they first don't say belt, and then it was okay to say championship belt, and then they took it all away again, and it was all championships and titles. So they're they're just you know I, I think it's just um, uh, kind of whatever the mood of the chairman is is what we go with, and um, you know that's how it's always going to be, I guess. Uh, um, but I personally don't have an issue with it, but I, it's not something I would have ever thought to say. I mean, I don't think it's uh, insulting or degrading to refer to uh, to it as a belt because that's exactly what it is. The title itself is air, so um, hmm. I don't have an issue with it. It's interesting, you know, through, through the years, you know, obviously the winged eagle belt and, into the you know that kind of bigger championship belt that Austin had for a bit. But do you like? The, the smoking skull and like, you know, the different title belts that these guys kind of bring to it, or would you rather them just be the world champion and have that specific belt? Um, mixed feelings. I think when you, I just think there have been only a handful of guys that really warranted it. And, and, and to answer the question, I've liked some and some I didn't like. Um, the smoking skull belt for Steve, I think was very cool personally. Um, I didn't so much mind. I, I, read, I originally thought the spinner belt was just going to be a John Cena belt, and I was okay with that. And then when it, you know, we had everybody from Triple H to CM Punk and The Rock and many others, you know, wearing that belt, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it, uh, and and still don't for that matter. Um, I think there's just a handful of guys that are that reached that that uh, that level i see both sides of it because my the the traditionalist side of me says the title belt is a title belt and it shouldn't change for anybody um but then you know i guess austin kind of broke that mold and he was special enough to want his own belt and um honestly i think you know along the way uh if, if you do it too much it doesn't mean anything 
Um, by and large, I'd say don't do it. But a Steve Austin really only comes along once in a lifetime. So, um, you know, I thought it was really cool when he did it. Yeah, definitely, and fit his character perfectly, you know, being, you know, the anti-establishment and everything else, so it just definitely fit. The guy that I'm thinking of, you know, obviously before Austin, it was uh, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man and the Million Dollar Belt as well. Did you like the Million Dollar Belt? Because that was somewhat of a unique, um, I guess, more expensive piece. At the risk of it sounding like a cop-out answer, and I don't mean it that way at all, this is truly how I feel about it. I liked it for Ted. I get it. It was not a title, though. Um, you know, it didn't... Um, I liked it as a gimmick belt for Ted because it was not, uh, you know, a world heavyweight uh, title belt or whatever. It wasn't really representing that. So just as, purely as a gimmick belt, I liked it. Uh, I liked it for Ted. Aesthetically, do I like the belt? I don't like it at all, but I like it for Ted's gimmick. It makes sense. Um, you know, um I've been asked uh, about replicating it, and I, I just declined because it's not really what I do. I make title belts, and that really wasn't a, a title. And, um, plus, quite honestly, uh, if you're willing to, to replace the plastic cells with CZs, the old replica belt that they that they made of it years ago uh, was about as good as the original if you just replaced the stones in it. So you didn't really need guys like me to do anything for you there because you could just go buy one that was... Um, kind of like the spinner belt, the, the replica belts outside of the fake leather look as good as the original did to me. So, um, yeah, that, that's my feelings on that. Now, that belt was pretty cool, but probably the most famous belt, or to me the most famous belt of all time, or maybe the greatest belt of all time to me, is the big gold belt. And we have former guest on our show was Dick Bourne, obviously, who wrote a great book about the big gold belt and you know you were part of that as well so what kind of was like the process in in that you know making that book and what do you think about the big gold belt would you rank it up there as one of your faves yeah you have to you just you just i think you you have to it's iconic um i'm fortunate enough to have a cast off of the original uh, the cast that i have used to belong to kevin nash um and i, I just think you have to it's it is um, one of the most copied, sometimes well, sometimes not, but one of the most copied belts uh, that you know in existence. And as far as the book goes, um, you know, uh, we just we just had the opportunity having access to the belt, and uh, Dick is such a a great historian and a great writer, and, and just one of my best friends. And um, you know, anytime he's got an idea to do. Uh, a book on all these things and unfortunately he'll consult me and we you know it's, it's always fun I mean you know we did the 10 pounds of gold and spent um it was not my first time getting to kind of play with the belt which is really cool for a kid who grew up seeing it in the magazines and on tv but um you know the big gold belt we were fortunate enough to to have access to it and so why not do the book and uh um you know, it really, it's, it's hard to explain what, to hold a belt like that, the big gold belt, the 10 pounds of gold. Um, I, I don't know, I don't want to sound hokey, but it, you, you just, it's not like when you pick up any other belt that, um, you know, that, that, that I've made or anybody else has made. It's just, you know, you pick those things up, and it's like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. But when you pick uh, something like the big gold belt up, it's like you can literally feel the history of it. It's, you, you, just, you just feel the importance of it. Um, and, 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 you know, it's just, it's just a special, special project that I was honored to be a part of. 
And obviously, you know, a lot of people associate Ric Flair with that belt, you know, with all, with, you know, obviously with uh, sure. some smartness behind there, you know, obviously. But pretty cool um, that Cody was able to find that nameplate, which was such a big part of, the, of that book as well. You find that kind of like a really, you know, intriguing little story there with, you know, obviously Dusty's nameplate and, and he passes away and Cody's able to find it. Uh, very much so. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was able to hold it with that nameplate attached to it and take a picture with it. And um, yeah, very, very cool and very special uh, for all of us, for, for Cody, obviously, who I don't know, uh, but it just communicated with a little bit uh, through uh, uh, social media about the plate. And um, you know, not somebody that I've ever, ever really had the opportunity to get to know. It's, it's strangely enough, I did know uh, the dream. I did. I did know Dusty a little bit. And had the opportunity to be around him a number of times and spend some time talking belts and uh, and and uh, well, that was always a lot of fun. But yeah, it's very special, man. It's very special because that plate never made air. It never made the magazine. It was never out there. So to know that Dusty had it all that time, um, I mean, how cool is that? That's awesome. Unbelievable. It's, it's such a cool part of that book, but now it's even cooler because Cody found, you know, that that nameplate and he had it all along. So, I mean, really, really cool stuff there. Well, it meant With, something to Cody. It, it means oh, something yeah. to Cody. And and I love that. And I love that about that guy that instead of it just being a, a another prop, he values it. He values it because he knew it meant something. Obviously, it meant something to the dream because he kept it. You know, mm. uh, that, that says a lot that he kept it all those years. And I think that says a lot. And that's why Cody understands you know, it's it's more than a little prop. It's important. It was important enough to his dad to keep. So, yeah, it's very cool, man. You find it, you know, with yourself. Obviously, you know, Flair is is known for the for you know the um, the big gold belt there. When yeah. you create a belt, do you think of a specific wrestler? Like when you're creating, do you have a guy in mind? Like, man, this guy should be wearing this belt, or is it kind of more of a general thing where you just kind of make an awesome looking belt? Now these days, man, it's it's more of a general thing because you know usually it's something we're contracted to do, and if it's in the case of WWE, with the exception of our classic and our continental, which we own, if they con- if they contact me for something, then they've already got uh, they've already got art, and sometimes we'll tweak it or make make some changes here and there that we get approved by them. But so really, in that sense, it really is more of a general thing. I don't I don't really these days look at it. However, what I do is because of having you know we have the by far the biggest classic library of championship belt art. So, you know, if I'm making a dome globe, then obviously I'm thinking about, uh, you know, uh, Ric Flair or Harley Race or, or Dusty and those guys, you know, you can't help it. I mean, you, when, you, when you're when you're putting the paint job on that or when you're working on the leather, whatever it is you're doing, at some point it will occur to you that sad if it's, if it's the big uh, AWA belt, then, of course, automatically you would think of Bockwinkle. So, I mean, you know, yeah, you, you, when it comes to those or winged eagle belts like Hogan and Savage and, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, I mean, so, yeah, it's on the classic ones, absolutely. Uh, on the ones of today, honestly, not not so much. I mean, really, you just, you just do what you get paid to do. Uh, I don't want to take the wind out of that or make it, you know, kind of uh, sound drab or dull, but, I mean, you know, that's just, that's just the truth. The, the truth is these days is just more of a general thing. And, you know, you said you got the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest library there. Can you, obviously, WWF, but can you name some other places where you've made belts that, you know, everyone would kind of be like, oh, wow, I can't believe uh, he made that belt there. Were you affiliated with them as well? Well, I kind of got in on the tail end of all the classic stuff as the territories were winding down and stuff. But our library 
is everything from uh, all the territories. I mean, it's, it's all the territories. And then this AWA, it's uh, many, most of the classic NWA belts. You know, uh, the aforementioned, of course, WWF belts. But, I mean, if you think of an old territory belt from the 70s or 80s or even uh, you know, barely into the 90s or whatever, then, you know, we probably own it. Well, world-class stuff or Florida or, you know, whatever, Mid-Atlantic, whatever. I mean, um, we we are fortunate to own most of that because most of it started with Reggie. Now, do you also, you know, do Magnum? Remember Magnum K had that awesome um, Mid-South, that North American title. Do you also do that belt as well? I do. As a matter of fact, uh, about five feet from me right now, is the only replica in existence that is actually made directly from the original. It's not cast from it, but we measured everything. Um, uh, a friend of mine owns the belt, and um, I, I helped him get it. And in the process of helping him get it, I kept it for about a month and took all the uh, etching stuff that I would need to recreate it. And I'm working on another one for a customer now, but, yeah, it's um, – it's uh, it's unique, man. It's a piece of property for sure. It's uh, it's the biggest belt that I own, and there's uh, my Kevin Nash big gold is, is sitting right beside it, and it, it dwarfs it. It's a it's it's a monster. Nice. And as we uh, we start to wind it down here, love talking belts, you know, because obviously we we love the history of them, and they're just so cool and so awesome to get, you know. A look at them is awesome to get a feel of them. It's awesome to take a picture with them. You know, it's so many cool things to do with a belt. But do you have an absolute favorite belt? Would it be the big gold belt, or do you have another, maybe a couple favorites in mind? I can tell you that there's nothing better than than, than the big gold belt, which ironically, you know, is not even made by you know the championship belt maker. It was made by a rodeo belt buckle company, but uh, Silversmith, more accurately, I guess you would say. But um, I, I can't, and I've been asked this. I think every single time probably that I've ever been interviewed in the, over the years, and that's, 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 that's a whole bunch of times now, I think I've been asked that. And even the, a few years back, WAB.com asked me the same thing. And I said, how about we make it, how about we do a story on 10 instead of on what I think the best is. And so we settled on that. And, um, uh, you know, I, I can narrow it down, but I can't give you one. If, if I'm, if I'm forced to, uh, of our library of stuff, I think that the, our uh, I think the winged eagle belt probably defines us. It's um, it's something that we would kind of consider a signature piece. Um, right behind that, of course, the intercontinental. That's out of our library. As far as the classic stuff goes, yeah, big gold, dome globe, Bachwinkle's belt, all that stuff that I you know was when I was a teenager that I was seeing. That's the stuff that um, uh, that's the stuff that I'll always migrate to over over the more current stuff. As far as my my personal taste. But naming just one, uh, you know, standard answer, and people that know me are sick of the answer. But it's, why don't you just ask me to name my favorite kid? You know, I, I got I got two, hmm. so I, I can't, can't pick one. Hey, I, I tell you there, and I know what you're saying, but uh, it's so many cool belts, and like you said, you narrowed it down to ten for WWE.com, which I read that article recently. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, I pretty much liked all the picks. Me personally, I don't know. I, I for some reason I got to go big gold belt. I love the winged eagle, but I don't know something about the big gold belt. It's just uh, yeah, you, real, nothing's real better. That's, that's why I said that. Nothing's better. Not, nothing's better. Uh, so much, so much thought went into it, and so much um, 
you know, it, it was it was hand carved out of a piece of hand engraved rather out of a out of a piece of silver. Uh, I mean, you know, um, that's that's pretty special, and it stood out. It always will stand out. Uh, you know, there, there's nothing there's there's nothing better or more iconic than than the big gold belt. That's for sure. Now, do you have any favorite like? I know you said Memphis was, uh, you know, when you were a kid, it was a big hotbed, obviously, huge hotbed, Jerry King Lawler, things like that. Do you yeah. have a favorite wrestler or, or maybe a couple of favorite wrestlers? Or, or, you know, you're not really, um, you know what I mean? You don't really have favorites on that. but Or maybe you have a couple. Oh, yeah, I do. I do for sure. Uh, well, uh, you said it. I grew up just outside of Memphis. So, of course, uh, the king, Jerry Lawler, is, is not only my friend now for, Gosh, probably more years than either one of us would want to talk about, uh, 25, 30 years that, that, that uh, he's been my friend and has helped me along the way many in, in many situations, given me work and, um, you know, suggested me for work and uh, to other people and um, recently made some belts uh, for for uh, Booker T uh, for, his, for his promotion in Houston. And uh, that all started, of course, along the way. We had other, another mutual friend get involved, but... It started. Uh, it started because the king gave him my phone number. So I mean, that's um, you know, that's uh, Jerry is hard to beat. Jerry's not not just my friend, but also I think uh, I think uh, Jack Briscoe once said it to me about Jerry, and he said I've never known a more talented guy, and that's straight from Jack Briscoe. Uh, and uh, that's, that's that's pretty high praise, I think. Um, and it, it wasn't solicited. It was just something when Jack found out that I was from the Memphis area, he. He immediately went into that and said that. Along the way, other guys like Bachwinkle and, and guys that I've been fortunate enough to get to know have said very similar things. But I always enjoy it. Jerry, Jerry is uh, not just a great guy, but he's also um, – he could he could pretty much do anything. He could adapt to, to anything, and he did. And, but, uh, yeah, Harley Race, Nick Bachwinkle, Ric Flair, on and on and on, and a lot of the Memphis guys that I've been fortunate enough to get to know uh, over the years, such as Bill Dundee and Dutch Mantell and Austin Idol and all those guys, or Jimmy Valiant, all those guys, you know, I went from buying tickets to them when I was a kid to they're my friends now, and that's uh, that's pretty cool, man, for a guy that grew up a wrestling fan to be, uh, you know, um, first name basis and, and actual friends with with the guys that you grew up on. But you know, I, I really that's that's what I'll always migrate to, but really. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've uh, gotten to know Ric Flair through uh, our mutual uh, friend, Conrad Thompson. I've met Rick a number of times, got to know him uh, better thanks to, to our, our buddy, Conrad Thompson. Uh, you know, I've, on and on and on. I mean, you, you, I've led a charmed life for a guy that grew up as a wrestling fan, I'll say that. Oh, that's awesome, and we uh, we definitely can respect that. That is a very cool uh, path that you've been on. Obviously, you can't go wrong with the king, and he's had some iconic belts, and obviously we're going to get to the plugs in a minute, but if you look at the scale of professional wrestling belt collectors, it's almost like a world unto its own, and if you can go find a Facebook group or a fan page of the passionate belt collectors out there, it is definitely an interesting look into a subsection of wrestling uh, history collectors but where do you see the evolution of the wrestling belt in the next few years? Do you see them, uh, and I'm going to say WWE since they're the main dog in town right now, do you see them kind of evolving uh, looks as we think about maybe the cruiserweight title, or do we see them going back to a classic look like they've done with the Intercontinental title? 
I think you see them continue probably to evolve, and the reason for that is there have been uh, there have been a handful of guys um, uh, that uh, were title holders that have tried to uh, tried to get them to kind of maybe go in a more classic direction, and um, really the powers that be would always say, you know, we don't want to go backwards, we want to go forward, and I think that's probably something you'll continue to see happen. Um, I don't know this for a fact. It wouldn't surprise me if you don't, you know. Uh, don't see the intercontinental title replaced. Please don't take that as gospel, and please don't anybody. Uh, I know these guys won't, but please, anybody listening, please don't take that and run with it as, as the gospel or something. I'm, there's no scoop there. There's nothing anybody's told me. It's just part of the process of moving forward. It would not surprise me to see that, and um, you know, as as, the, as they tend to update and go more toward branding. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, I, I look around this room I'm in, and I'm fortunate to see uh, ring-used uh, WCW World Television bells in a glass case on one wall. I look to my right, I look to my left, and I see the uh, early, uh, the 91 to 94 WCW World Title belt in another glass case. And, you know, that's the stuff that I love. But I do understand progress, and I do understand we have to move forward. And uh, I think that's what WWE is all about and what they'll probably continue to do. Yeah, I agree with you. That uh, Intercontinental title is, uh, I feel it's on borrowed time as well. I've actually said that it's, uh, in the exact same vein because uh, it just seems like it's out of place because it's so perfect and it's uh, something the old school fans like. So it's got to be phased out eventually. But before we uh, before we wrap up here, I think uh, one thing we got you know we neglected to mention is some of the custom belts you make. And I got to know what is the wackiest most crazy belt you've made because you've made some for some TV shows. And I know that a lot of, uh, you know, fantasy leagues and a lot of workplaces now hand out belts uh, for achievement. So what's the craziest belt that you have made for a business or for a, uh, for an entity? Um, I didn't take the order. Our, our late business partner, Ed Schumann took the order, but probably, 10 or 12 years ago, or maybe a little longer, in that time frame anyway, we, we did some belts for porn stars, which is something that I <laughs> probably on my own wouldn't, I, and they, they weren't this game necessarily, belts were, were not, but uh, but uh, that's probably the oddest thing that I think I've ever done, um, you know, I, we still do some out there designs, the lip sync battle belt, which we still, my gosh, these, I think there were something like they've ordered something like 70 belts in the last, you know, couple of years of their TV show. Um, but, um, you know, that's, that's an out there kind of wacky design, very cool design. It's got a lot of elements to it, but as far as the most off the wall, I think I'd probably have to go with the, with the, uh, the old porn star belt that my, my late partner Ed Schumann took the order for. And we, uh, we created, um, that, that's probably going to take the cake for the, the most out there and wackiest thing I've done. I got to say that's probably another one of those ironic ones because uh, they're not known for the things that they wear. So, uh, kind of a head scratcher <laughs> exactly that right. a belt would be uh, <laughs> that a belt would be a prop. I know they use other props, but it's been a lot of fun, Dave. We really appreciate <laughs> you spending a few minutes. But if you can, please share with the fans and the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling where they can go to educate themselves on the history of your belts as well as find out everything that you do in the wonderful world of the wrestling belt making business. Well, I'm terrible about uh, my, my poor website guy, Javier Cortez, who has, hasn't, hasn't had a, a website update for me in years because I'm so busy and so covered up. But my, my website's still out there, DaveMillikinBelts.com. Also can be reached by AceOfBelts.com, the exact uh, same site. And 
But uh, really to keep up with me, uh, at Dave Mullican on Twitter is probably the best way because it's the easiest way. It's the Even if I'm busy or way behind on email or whatever, I can uh, stand in my shop while paint dries and in, uh, in, a, in a minute, uh, tweet a picture of a belt or something I'm working on or something that uh, that's just debuted and that sort of thing. So really, at Dave Milliken on Twitter, that's the best way to keep up with me. Uh, even though the books have been out there for, for a couple of years, 10poundsofgold.com, um, you know, is where you would uh, where you would get that. Or really, the best thing to do is just go to the Mid-Atlantic Gateway site, Orange site, and you can get our books there. Uh, his books, and then uh, the couple that I've been involved with uh, as well, and uh, so really, that's uh, that's that's the main thing. Uh, the best way to keep up with me is right there on Twitter at Dave Milliken. Awesome, yes. And for the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip, episode one ninety nine featured Dick Bourne and all about the big gold belt. So definitely a good partner for this interview would be to go listen to the Dick Bourne interview. And uh, this has been a lot of fun, and I appreciate you uh, spending a few minutes with us. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.